Now, I don't know about any of you lot, but um, I'm a bit forgetful. Is anybody else a bit forgetful? I mean, I, I'm good with faces, but sometimes I forget names and, you know, it can be a bit embarrassing. And there's been times when I've had, you know, gone to have conversations with people. Probably you're in the room right now and you've known us for a couple of years or something like that. And, and you forget, you forget people's names. Oh, oh, look at that. Well done. My wife is sorting me out, sorting me out. <laughs> That's reminded me as well because we've actually we are being joined this morning by the guys at Cafe Church downstairs and also Cafe Church across at our north side. So give them a wave. That'd be brilliant. All right. Thank you, Victoria, for sorting out. I just think in those moments you're like, oh no, is my zipper down? Is, are we okay? That's a test of friendship right there, isn't it? So, so I don't know about you. I, I'm a bit, you know, my memory sometimes can be a bit, you know, I can forget things. But I was reading. Uh, an article about a Texan lady who had uh, got, got uh, <laughs> no, I know there's Texans or affiliated Texans in the room. This is not uh, a comment about that. But anyway, she gets up this particular morning, jumps in her car, and, as she, and she, I think she was driving to work. Five hours later, she finds herself in a, in a totally different city. She's driven hundreds of miles, and she's had some kind of crazy amnesia moment. And so she's in another city, and she's thinking, what on earth am I doing here? So what should she do? She, she's a bit nervous. She goes and books herself into a hotel and thinks, gosh, maybe I just need to sleep. I'm maybe exhausted. She wakes up the next morning, looks in the mirror, and doesn't even recognize herself. She's had this unbelievable breakdown of memory and complete episode and uh, it takes a year for her to get her memory back. I say all of that because sometimes we forget who we are and how on earth we've got here. You know, I love that, um, is it that, 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 um, that quote of that little girl who goes out into the playground and instead of shouting, you know, what on earth are you doing to her friends? She shouts, um, what are you doing on earth? It's good, isn't it? It's a good question to ask. What are we, you know, what on earth are we doing here? What are you doing on earth? And sometimes we forget who we are, who God is and what God's done in our lives, how we've ended up here, how you've maybe ended up here in Aberdeen, how you've maybe ended up here at, at this church, at Catalyst Vineyard. Sometimes we forget the journey and the people that God has put around us and the conversations and the ministry moments and the breakthroughs and all of that. We sometimes can easily forget. And so we're starting a new journey today. Uh, uh, we're going to start a new journey. We're going back into a letter of one of Paul's letters of two Corinthians. And um, I want to encourage you. As we start this letter, Paul wants to encourage you and me. He wants to remind us of who he is, who we are as the church. And then there's this lovely little sort of prayer greeting at the beginning that we're going to look at. That's hopefully going to shape how we respond and act. Paul wants us to begin this letter by looking through these opening verses and for them to cast a light or a shadow, if you like, into everything else that's said. So, we good for that? 
All right. Okay. So we're going to open up the Bible to Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. And um, let's read the first few uh, verses. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints through. Now, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that. Achaia, what do you reckon? Do you have a vote? Achaia or Achaia? Achaia. Achaia? Sounds like a curry, doesn't it? I'll have an Achaia. Anyway, so Achaia. We'll go with Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his opening few sentences. Um, Victoria and I and the kids went, went Christmas time, we used to go down to Dundee. And instead of going to the theatre here, we go to the theatre in Dundee. Victoria's mum and dad used to take us to the rep, and uh, we loved it. And uh, one year, we were watching this theatre production where um, the stage was here, and then they dropped muslin curtains down, and you can you could barely see that they were there because you were looking through them at the activity on the stage. But the amazing thing was, as the stuff was happening and people were saying stuff they started to project stuff onto this curtain that you could barely see. And it completely changed the atmosphere and, and what you were sort of seeing and, and kind of feeling from, you know, as you were looking at the, at the play. Paul is doing that with this letter. He's dropping a curtain in front of us and says, I want you to read and listen to this letter through these opening statements. Now, you might notice that only recently, in the last four or five years, I've got to wear glasses. And, um, you know, I don't often go to the optometrist. But, but some of you may know what this is like. But you go, don't you? And as you sit there, they drop kind of lenses in front of your eyes that you have to sort of look through. And there's kind of, often there's three colors of lenses that happen. A green one, a red one, and a blue one. I want to suggest to you this morning that Paul wants us to view this letter through these three opening true statements. Who is Paul? Who is he to the Corinthians? Who are they? Who is this church? And then this opening kind of hope and prayer that he talks about grace and peace. And so I think before we get into these three lenses, let's... uh, Let's just have a quick knockabout around sort of with the background uh, and understand a little bit more about this letter. There's been a bit of correspondence over the years. There's been some toing and froing. Uh, uh, Paul has at least visited Corinth uh, at least probably once since he planted the church. There's been some issues. You know, it's a growing church. And with growing churches, it's brilliant, isn't it? But there are also sometimes issues that rise and so that's some of the issues had come and actually there'd been some tussle with some of the leaders and the elders in the church around a few issues and it was quite painful and so um, it's a bit like this as we come into this letter you know have you ever been on a journey where you know a couple's coming to pick you up and let's say you're going to drive somewhere with the couple and when they come round and beep the horn you run out and you jump in the car with them you very quickly realize that they've probably just had a Barney. 
a Barney, but, but they've prob- you feel like they've resolved it, but not quite, and it feels a little bit raw. Is anyone, is it just us that has experienced that? Some of you are like, we don't even argue. <laughs> no. But it's true, isn't it? And so as we come into this letter, we need to understand and recognize there has been some dialogue, some robust conversations. But the posture now is that some of this stuff is being resolved and we're moving in the right direction. Okay? But it is a bit like we're coming in because it's two Corinthians, not one Corinthians. And so there will be some stuff said and you're like, oh, we didn't know that. But that was maybe in a previous letter or it was in a previous conversation. And so we're coming in and there is maybe a little bit of tension. And so this is the second, we we call it, don't we, the second letter to the Corinthians. But it's more than likely the third or the fourth. And so in history, there's some Some correspondence has got lost, and so we don't fully know about all of it. We know um, that Paul did make a visit when he was in Ephesus about five or six years after the church was planted. He did revisit them, is referred to in this letter, and and they had some conversation, and it was really, really tough. Leadership is tough. And so... He then writes another letter with real grief in his heart and with real tears. And we don't have that letter, but it seems to have been a real dad letter, a letter that's got under their skin and it's turned some of their people's hearts around. And so something shifted and changed. And so now he's writing this letter with hope, with real hope. And so this community... This church that Paul is writing to, he started it. You have to remember that. He's like, you know, we we say, don't we, who's your daddy? They can say Paul actually is the dad of this church. He went there, and we can read that in Acts chapter 18. You know, when we read these letters, it's always good to go back into the book of Acts and look at how these things were started and who was involved. Because Paul is writing to people that he personally knows and knows exceptionally well, and he knows their stories. He has journeyed with them. In Acts 18, it says he went to Corinth with Timothy and Silas and spent 18 months there, living there, preaching and speaking and encouraging and they saw if not hundreds of people come to know the living Jesus and so this is the backdrop to it this is a city that is a very new city in terms of it's probably about a hundred years old it has got the fastest growing economy in the Roman Empire at the day things were happening About 100 years prior, Julius Caesar had repopulated this city with freed slaves and retired soldiers. People who wanted to make a go of life. And so into that context, Paul and Timothy and Silas have come into this vibrant city within two generations is exploding with all sorts of, you know, economic um, enhancements, let's put it that way. You know, within two generations, people were pretty rich. You know, the grandparents had started something and they were living in the wake of that. It was a port, so right on a trade route. So diversity of life and experience and kind of, you know, people from all sorts of different cultures coming in and around that. And also unbelievable creativity and 
engineering. I love all of that stuff. Do you know what? They, we're going to put up a map here in just a second. But here it is. This is Corinth. And then if you click again, you'll notice just where Corinth is, there's a land gap of only four miles between the Aegean Sea and the, what's the other one? Can't remember. The other side. Anyway, the two seas, four miles between them. These, th this young city is pushing the boundaries in all sorts of ways. And do you know what they do? They build a road over that four-mile area so they can pull boats and ships across the four miles so that boats and ships don't have to do a 300-mile journey. It's amazing. And then in 1890, a French team built the canal across it. These guys were ahead of the game. They were ahead of it. They were pushing life and boundaries, but the reality was they were also pushing the boundaries of the, the immorality and all sorts of stuff. So you can imagine this is a bustling city with leadership coming out of its ears and the possibility and the potential of the people. And yet into this, the gospel comes and a church is planted. It's a church very like ours. It says that it was growing rapidly. And even in that opening couple of statements, it says also to the Christians or to the saints in the whole region. I wonder if Corinth was a bit like Catalyst, who had spread out. God had done some stuff and was spreading into the region. And so let's look at this first lens really quickly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. You know, he's, he's writing to his friends. But he's writing and he's visited and he's planted this church, um, not because it's his idea. Paul is wanting to be very clear, clear right from the word go, that he's called and he's writing to them because of what Jesus has done in his life. Because of how Jesus had broke into his life on the Damascus Road. Because Jesus had called him to go and plant churches. It wasn't because, you know, he's a brilliant speaker that things had happened. Or he'd come up with this great idea. But the reality was this. He was doing what he was doing because of what Jesus had done in his life. And God's calling on his life. And he wanted to fulfill the will of God. In his life. You notice if you run this sentence backwards. It kind of changes a little bit. By the will of God. By the will of God. Jesus came. And through the delegated will of God in Christ. Jesus appointed apostles. Paul was an apostle. He calls himself the least and the last, but he's saying, but I was and am one of them who has been touched by the risen Jesus and commissioned to do this work. You see, this is an opening statement actually about the will of God and actually about the authority of God on his life. Isn't that interesting? Right from the word go, he says, I want you to hear my heart 
that I'm here writing to you. I'm here and we're having these conversations and even these wrestles about issues. But I'm here. I, I don't want to be, you know, I, I'm here because Jesus has sent me to you. I am in your life because of Jesus. Not because it was just a great idea. And maybe for many of us here today, as we start this new series, maybe some of us wrestle, just like the Corinthians wrestled with Paul's words and Paul's teachings at times. And there was pushback. Maybe for some of us here, we come to the Bible and we come to maybe this letter, and there are moments in it where we, you know, I think some, some of us, we pick up the Bible and we go, Lord, will you speak to us today? And that's brilliant. But often we do it on our own terms. We say, Lord, I want you to speak. But please only tell me the things that I want to hear. Actually, Paul's just gently saying to them, guys, God's given me authority to speak into your life. And there was a season in their lives where you were desperate to hear God's will and favor and my teaching and the truth. But there's been a season where you've said, I want this, but also I don't. And so when we come, to the Bible, and we come to the teaching that comes from these books, maybe for some of us there's a fresh opportunity to go, I'm going to receive. I'm going to look through some of my guardedness. I want, I want Paul to speak into my blindness and maybe even some blind spots in my life. There's a time where the Corinthians des wanted him to do that. But there seems to be a time where they've pushed back and said, actually, we've outgrown you, Paul. This church was maybe six or seven years old. Hey, for those of us who have children, we, and we love our kids, don't we? And as they begin to grow, some of you got really wee ones, and you're already beginning to see the tendencies as children go. There are moments when they go, I want to do this myself. Isn't that true? And, and, and a parent's going, no, no, let me show you how to do this. I've got a better way of doing it. And they're like, no, Dad, no, I know how to do it. And off they do the thing. And then they realize it starts to go a little bit wrong or they trip up, they hurt themselves, they get bumps on the head. And then they come back and they go, Daddy, Daddy, I'm sorry. You know best. The Corinthian church was a, was a six or seven year old. It had all this potential and, and energy. But there was a spiritual immaturity about it. And now Paul is writing as a dad who's been commissioned by Jesus himself, by the will of God. And he's saying, hey, listen, we've come full circle. Let's continue the dialogue. I want to see you grow and become the people that I know God has called you to be. Teachability is huge. Teachability is a measure of maturity. For us in this church, you know, when we think about what leadership is, we say that we love it when people are fast. It's a little anagram. Who are faithful, available, servant-hearted, and teachable. Three of those things are about heart condition. One is practical. Availability is about time. But the other three, it's about heart and posture. And in particular, heart and posture towards leadership. Paul is just gently saying, guys, let's 
learn together afresh. Let's hear what God's got to say. Let's look at everything that I'm going to talk about in this letter. And let's be teachable. I wonder for some of us, how do we view our leaders? How do we view the people around us? Do we say, God, this is just an accident? Or actually, is so-and-so my small group leader because God's put them there? He's put them in my life. I love that we're part of the vineyard churches because actually Chuck and Taryn sit under some great leaders and they're accountable to them. And so they have delegated authority in that context. For us as site pastors, we sit with them and sit under them and there's a delegated sense of authority where we're like, come on, teachers, we want to learn, we want to grow together. There's a sense of, you know, mutual, like, coming under them. Who's, who's been put in your life? Who's, been, who's around your life? Is it an accident? I doubt it. Maybe for some of us, as we go into this letter, maybe we want to start to reshape and rethink what it means to be a leader, but also to receive what God wants to do in our lives, where, where he wants to shave off some stuff in our characters. Have we actually said to some of our leaders in our small groups or in our ministry teams, have we actually sat down with them and said, I give you permission to speak into my life afresh. Because actually some of them may not even know. Like you might go to a group and you might be around something. But the reality is they don't know really if you've, they've got the full permission to speak into your life. And so maybe next time you hang out and have a meeting or a coffee. Why didn't you just say to them? Why didn't you just say, Peter, you have permission to speak into my life. I want to come under some authority. I want God to use you to shape me. And maybe, and maybe you'll find that as you do that, your life shifts and changes and you begin to grow and actually end up with more freedom. And so Paul kicks off this letter with this first lens, really talking about leadership and actually God's authority on him to speak into this church. Let's drop the next lens. I'm going to have to do this quite quick, eh? Boom. Let's, the next lens. What does he say? The next sentence. He says, let me tell you who I'm writing to. And this is where I love it when Paul gives, he kind of addresses the, the, the Corinthian community by that proper name. The church in Corinth. That's what he says. He says, I'm addressing the church in Corinth together. With all the saints. The church of God in Corinth. Some of us have got nicknames. But Paul's not giving the church in Corinth a nickname. He's, tell, he's addressing it by its full name. He's not writing just to anyone. He's saying, I'm writing to the ecclesia of God. The called out ones. I'm writing to a new people. A new people shaped and owned by, the, by God, whose citizenship isn't here in Corinth, 
but it's actually in heaven. I'm writing to a royal priesthood. He's speaking to those that have had their weighty pasts cleansed, the guilt and burdens of the past lifted off. He's speaking to those gathered people who come together where the very presence of Jesus comes and stands amongst them. This is a people he's writing to where God can be found. He's not writing to the guys, the club, the bowling club, or the guys that, you know, have rallied the troops to to cross grannies across the road, and they're just nice people. No, he's writing to the people of God, the church of God in Corinth. Listen, when we start to unpack that loaded name, I don't know about you, but my heart starts to rise. My back begins to straighten. I think that's right. That is who we are. We're a people, a diverse people, whose God's hand is on. I'm writing to these people, God's own. I don't know how you view yourself, but this is how God views you. And this is how the Apostle Paul views the, the Corinthians and how he would view you and me. And I love what he, he says there. He talks about the church and then he says, and the saints in the region. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very sainty often. Do you? I mean, I live on St. Ternan's Road. And so I think this phrase is an interesting phrase. It's a phrase that we wouldn't normally call one another. But Paul is calling us saints. It's a general term for all believers who follow and love Jesus. But we believe and we hear that's a specialized, super holy dude. St. Ternan was an amazing guy. He he, he planted churches all across this area. He was an evangelist, if you like, to the picks of the northeast of Scotland. He was incredible. He set up an abbey not far from Bankery. He eventually laid down his life for the gospel here. You go, that's a saint. He's a saint. Actually, Paul is saying, believe it or not, just look around right now. In fact, why don't we do that? Just turn around, look at one another and go, I know you don't believe this, but you're a saint. Saint Amy, Saint Noah. I like that one, eh? Saint Noah, yeah. Come on, we don't do this very often. We're too British. The Americans in the room are going, that's right, yeah. I'm Saint James. There you go. You see what I mean? We have, but you know what? We have a low opinion of ourselves, but God has a great opinion of his church. And so as Paul is beginning to open up this letter, he says, know who you are. You are the saints in this region. And just really quickly, the, 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 the New Testament language to describe what a saint is, is really difficult to get your hands on. But it basically means something like this. You have been tainted by God's holiness. You have been tainted and now sainted. I like that. God, if you have encountered and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if something of the holiness of God has touched your life, you are a saint. You have become a saint. And saints smell great. And we're going to unpack that in the next couple of weeks because that means you're carrying something of the otherness of God. 
Now that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, I feel built up. I'm like, yes. A saint is capable of anything because he has the resources of heaven behind him. And yes, many could become like St. Turner's. But why not? Because as we build up and we see the possibility, we also then ask the question, why am I not? What needs to change? What needs to grow? All of that stuff needs to, is in the mix as well, isn't it? And so as we look through this letter, I believe the Lord just wants to prod us and encourage us and do a bit of surgery and breathe on us so that we become even more saintly. Are we good? Good. My notes have just disappeared. Wow. Maybe that is a message from God to say it's time. And then really, really quickly, then we're going to land on this. Look at the prayer, the hope he says to the church. And he says this in all of his letters. I think it's every letter that Paul writes to the church. He opens with this statement and this kind of prayer. And he says, grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace to you from God unmerited gift of love from God to you. His posture. Can you hear the posture of a dad leaning through this letter? I want God's best for you. Whatever we're going to talk about, whatever we're going to discuss, I am for you. I've always been for you. And I want you to experience God's favor. So open your heart towards God and let his favor, his countenance shine on you. Because here's the deal, when we experience grace from God, we start leaking grace to others. And that's his prayer. He says, my friends, I'm writing to you again, and I know we've got some differences and we're working things out. But hey, let the favor of God, let's just be open to the favor of God and let the grace of God. Remember, we're all forgiven. Those who have been forgiven much, yeah, from God, forgive quickly this way. He's saying, let's receive fresh grace let his face shine on us so that we leak grace to one another as we dialogue through this letter and peace peace the shalom the unity the this let's get in sync with him we want to be in sync together we want to be united together but ultimately he's kind of praying a prayer that says let's all get in sync with god and when we do that this is going to work. So let's get in sync. And what I want to just land with this is this. When the church, when we are operating under the grace and the peace of God, it's like God comes into the community and we join him. And it's like he's leading in the dance and we're with him. And grace and peace are at work, aren't they? And suddenly, and I'm a rubbish dancer, as you can see, but actually when you watch a couple who really can dance super well, and they're just doing their thing, and they're doing it together, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, wow, that is cool. I'd like to be able to do that. In fact, when they throw out a hand and say, come on, let's join in, you kind of go, yeah, I want to. Yeah. You see the great dance and peace, you know, the dance of grace and peace that, the, that Paul wants for the church becomes incredibly attractive. And he's saying, that's what's possible. Remember who I am. I'm your dad. 
And I've got the best things for you. So let's work this through. Let's remember who you are. You're the church of God in this place. You're agents of change. You could transform this city. And let's do it with real grace and peace from God operating in him here as a community. Let's join the dance. Why don't we stand?